0: New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. And very pleased to have Sarah Putt back in the podcast New Zealand studio. How are you, Sarah? I'm very well, thank you. Maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this big wide world of tech.
1: I am editor of CIO and Computer World in New Zealand.
0: It's so, so good having you. Uh, doing that job, Sarah, yeah, after I've... you know, you had a bit of a time away from being a Juno, but I did. You're, you're really uh, right back in the dead center of it,
1: back in the middle of it all, it's and great. it's great, really enjoying it.
0: Great, well lots to talk about uh, today. First up I do want to thank our show partners who make the New Zealand Tech Podcast possible and are also responsible for helping support the tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. So a big shout out and a thank you to Sumo Logic, Vodafone New Zealand, Spark New Zealand, Vocus, HP, Samsung, Gorilla Technology, and of course Umbrella Connect. So let's jump straight into our news bites. We're just going to run through some of the some of the interesting headlines over recent days. Uh, first up, uh, The Register reported that an IT guy whose job it was uh, was to stop ex staff running amok on uh, a, an organization's network um, was jailed for running amok on their network. After he uh, exited, so uh, he was demoted and then fired, uh, kicked out of um, the organisation, and then he logged back in uh, remotely over a, over a period of time. Managed to get his way back in, even though he'd been locked out, uh, and started wiping systems and the like. Ultimately, jailed for a year and uh, fined for three hundred thousand odd uh, New Zealand dollars.
1: Wow! Wow! Well, probably well deserved.
0: It wasn't actually New Zealand dollars, mm-hmm. but that was that. That was a translation. Fortunately, mm-hmm. this wasn't wasn't in New Zealand. Um, in other news, Spark and Team New Zealand have opened what they're calling the five G race zone. Now, Sarah, you and I went and had a look the other day. Tell us the highlights from your perspective.
1: Oh, I thought it was pretty good. Great one to take the kids. Um, some real hands-on exhibits in a way and they've done they've done a quite good job of not making it too hands-on around a COVID world um, but yeah you can have a virtual selfie taken with some of the team members um, there was quite a cool one where you stood and you kind of felt like you were on the boat itself that was pretty cool um, and you can design your own boat so yeah no it's it's definitely worth a look see in the holidays
0: and you can try out the, uh, the simulator and... that's right
1: you can actually um, steer the boat yourself and the team I managed teams. to sink it did you
0: yeah oh. I'm but, lucky it was a virtual one otherwise <laughs> there would have been a lot of trouble
1: I'm not sure they would let us on the actual one yes. but didn't you design a very good one didn't you didn't you get tops in that yeah. yeah,
0: that you can go in and and it's sort of just a numbers game, really. As yeah. you 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 know you change these different things and you come up with your uh, perfect. your your perfect um, yacht design.
1: Yeah, what is it give Berlusconi? Is that his name? A go? A run for his money?
0: Yeah, I think he got uh, he got ninety eight out of out of out of a hundred on uh, on one of his goes with it. But as I'm sure he probably provided them the the details on uh, um you know how how to actually design this thing and and it, apparently it takes into consideration so the boat you design its success depends on the weather conditions and so on yes. at the at the time so it it's not just you know, um, evaluated. You know, on an, on a necessarily an equal footing. So you've got to take into yeah uh, you know, design or yeah consider consider those things in theory. I just. Dragged and pulled the different bits and pieces on screen and came up with something I thought was was pretty good. Yep. And uh, I got eighty eight out of a hundred. and nice. I, th- I thought I thought that was good.
1: I'm not going to talk about my score. <laughs> it wasn't as good. I just was clicking buttons. But what I thought was quite cool was they had this area when they had the th- I think it's three different race zones and they talked about the different conditions and they'll pick a zone on the day the Americas Cup people depending on what the best conditions are. And I'd love to see Spark run a, a, a sort of a tab to see how the, the race zones that they'd picked based on the on the information that they were receiving and what the americas cup people do that would be quite, quite fun to see
0: yeah yeah well it was. I think it was. It was. You know, quite insightful into a few aspects, and that, yeah. yeah, that's one. Of, that's one of the things. I, I mean, I never had any inkling as to how they would decide where they where they race and and so on. But actually, it makes sense, doesn't it? The weather on a on a given day would influence where it's most appropriate to race.
1: To race, absolutely. Yeah. And I think as well, the challenge that you always have with America's Cup is. Making it visual and understandable to everybody else i mean that 's obviously where um Ian taylor 's animation research came forward they 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 brought alive that that um Sporting event, which wasn't as easy to get your head around as, say, you know, a rugby game or a football game, etc. So, yeah, it's it's definitely worth worth a
0: look. Good. Yeah. uh, Yep. And it's free, so yeah, you can take the kids. And it's going to be open for about six months, I hear. So there's there's plenty of opportunity to uh, to go and have a look. look. it's
1: their second um, go at at sort of showcasing five G before it was for the enterprise end of the market they took through a whole bunch of teams through their 5G innovation lab and now they're coming to the race zone so um, yeah a different sort of side of the of the population but good you know interesting nonetheless.
0: yeah and i'm you know i'm, I'm keen to see whether you know ultimately is there is there an advantage for team new zealand that they've got the 5G mm. on the boat versus the other True. other teams i would imagine there'll be some protest from the other teams if if uh, Team New Zealand were getting some advantage out of something exclusive, although who knows, maybe uh, uh, maybe maybe Sparks um, rivals will have uh, something up their sleeve to uh, to offer to the other other teams. Who knows?
1: Yeah, because of course, as you point out, it's the sensors on the boat that are transmitting the data back in real time, rather than collecting at the end of the race or whatever. That is supposed to be help them give them the edge. But uh, yes, I mean America's Cup is well known for its uh, for its sort of feisty rule discussions. So it'll be interesting to see how if, if that becomes a feature of those.
0: Yes. Um, now Google have uh, have just just announced. Uh, in fact, this podcast will, will be released in in timing to line up with this uh, for the New Zealand market. Their Nest uh, Router. And uh, Wi-Fi equipment into the New Zealand market via a partnership with general retailers, uh, and also an exclusive relationship with internet provider Orcon. Now, this is interesting because New Zealand's been you know left out in the cold to a degree by Google in the past, and they they seem to be playing a bit of a catch-up game. So, with this announcement, they're launching into the New Zealand market a product that is, you, you, I don't think you could quite argue that it's necessarily end of life, uh, but it has been out in the US for, for about 11 months, but it's encouraging to see uh, Google take a bit more notice of the New Zealand, uh, New Zealand market, and uh, if it's Orcon that have stirred that uh, along in the right direction, then um, you know, well done uh, to Orcon. Um, who we should highlight are our, uh, our own by Vocus, uh, one of our one of our show partners.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and lastly, on on this, the tech news bites, uh, I did want to mention uh, Scott Bartlett, who has unfortunately had to step down from Cordia. Uh, this is due to he's had ongoing um, illness uh, you know we heard about that he had had uh, multiple brain tumours uh, and then was able to step back into um, heading up uh, Cordia as CEO for a period um, but he's now having to uh, step down again um Because of ongoing illness, so you know certainly we want to wish Scott all the best, and you know I I mean certainly I enjoyed it when we had him uh, here on the New Zealand Tech podcast and. Really, I've only ever heard uh, you know good things about uh, Scott and his his real you know contributions to uh, the, you know the tech and, and telecommunications absolutely. sector.
1: Yes, absolutely. Wish him all the very best, and really hope that we can see him back in the sector again. Uh, people may remember him as the first, sort of the second CEO of Orcon um, when Cordia bought it back in the day, and such a vigorous and lively person, and always. Yeah, always sort of pushed things along, and just really showed really dynamic um, individual. And we all just wish him the absolute best. Come back soon. We just absolutely need people like Scott in our industry. He's fantastic. So get well soon.
0: Agreed. Good luck, Scott. Mm. Now moving on to uh, a couple of other a couple of other topics. Windows XP. It was in the in the media. Just it's been in the last uh, few days that the source code for Windows XP uh, got leaked. Now this has started firing up a, a few other thoughts and discussions around the challenge that we have here in New Zealand, and not just New Zealand. It's it's around the world um, with organisations and and individuals in their homes running old technology and the impact that that, that can have from a, uh, a cybersecurity perspective. In fact, I walked into a uh, Mitre 10 uh, store over the weekend, and uh, my nine-year-old son was looking, as we were asking for a bit of info, was looking at the, the computer screen that the, the chap was looking something up in And uh, pointing out that that was running an old operating system, an old version of Windows, and that's a cybersecurity risk. Now, (laughs) I found it amusing um, that a you know whatever hundred million dollar organisation was being called out by a nine year old for poor cybersecurity practices. Mm -hmm. Um, And you were slightly
1: quite proud of him too for for pointing that out. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So
0: so nice to know that he's picking up on some of these some of the some of these discussions look i recognize there are challenges with keeping technology up to date but in new zealand we have from the stats i most recent stats i've come across suggest at least 10% of windows based computers are running windows 7 or earlier so yes a very small fraction of those are windows xp with the source code you know having leaked for windows xp it, it makes it even easier um, you know, for cyber criminals, for the bad guys, to be able to look out and and find things there. Yes, it's not the latest version of XP and 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 whatnot, but still that that's a risk. And then, uh, and most of these computers are are running you know Windows Seven, which was very popular. Um, but look, it's, it's time for organisations that have got this stuff. Uh, to get them in line and and get them up to date.
1: Absolutely, and and you know as we always talk about in, in cybersecurity prevention is really better than cure. And just for a small amount, or well, it's not a small amount. But if you, you know, you need to keep up with your deployments, there isn't any excuse for that. Everybody knows, and it, it's it's kind of it's disappointing to see that in such a a big business like that.
0: Yeah, and and look, I think we've got some uh, challenges. And I, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of how Miter Ten runs, but I do know that it's different to Bunnings, where I think it's all all company owned, and they would be setting policy centrally, and it would just happen. I think where we have these franchise type of uh, operations, and yeah you know, I don't know entirely, but I know certainly their smaller stores are are, are definitely franchise uh, based. Maybe those original agreements weren 't set up w- with this sort of thing in mind, but it has that potential of you know harming their overall brand and harming their customers if they don 't actually you know set some standards acro- you know across across their business and look i 'm sorry to mention this particular one, but you know i've i 've mentioned the name well. now um, but i you know I think that yeah, organisations do need to do need to um, you know, figure out how to do it. And if you've got, you know, franchisees, then there should be a standard that says, look, this is our cyber security standard and everyone you know needs to ultimately get on get on board with that stuff.
1: Absolutely. IT is a senior leadership board discussion. That's your brand out there and as we've seen in cyber attacks and we've talked about them before, it is not just um, infrastructure damage or customer damage or stakeholder it's reputation damage as well and uh, yeah IT absolutely has to be there at the table talking and discussing around these issues it's it's right across the really it really does need to be um, uppermost in senior management's mind and I agree with you if it's regardless if it's franchise or fully owned it's the it, the brand
0: has to be figured out you're risking out,
1: your it? brand yeah yeah
0: um, now, also on the cyber front, something I've I've been you know, discussing over the last um, last yeah, couple of days um, uh, you know, across the mainstream media, um, there was there was news out last week uh, that the US uh, are now raising some challenges to whether it is actually legal to be paying out. Uh, a ransom, so that people risk actually violating, uh, you know, regulations. This has come from um, the U.S. Department of uh, Treasury, and they've they've highlighted that if you pay out, if an organisation is hit with ransomware, which, as we know, that happens a lot in New Zealand as as elsewhere, and in a percentage of those cases. You know money is is laid out um, actually, that puts those involved, whether it 's an insurance company or whether it 's the organization themselves, directly um, you know potentially into a pretty dicey situation from a legal perspective and um, they 're saying that making those payments risks basically breaking sanctions, and so I had a look at the New Zealand laws because I was curious yeah. well well what would this mean let let's say a new zealand organisation pays a ransom and in most cases you don't know actually who you're paying or or where they are there there is a degree to which actually you can you know line some of this up and and get a level of understanding but in new zealand we have sanctions against a number a number of countries north korea you know amongst others and what the the legislation appears to indicate is if you do business with those countries mm. you're at risk as a as the individual involved in the process of one year of jail wow so mm. whether that falls back on the board whether that falls back on you know the um, chief information security officer. Whether it falls back on the chief financial officer who makes the payment, or exactly how how that you know how that falls, there are also some fines: ten thousand dollars for individuals, hundred thousand uh, dollars for for a business. But it's the the year in jail. I think is, you know, is, uh, yeah. is is the big one, and I I would like to hear uh, if we've got any lawyers listening. I'd love to love to hear from you. Um, but yeah, you know, I would like to actually get a little bit more understanding, you know, on that. And and is that another thing that uh, that those that get involved in this? Uh, are actually putting themselves um, at risk with.
1: Yes, and I think that's a very good point. You're putting yourself on the wrong side of the law. I think the American situation, they're saying you're supporting organised crime. Yeah. Um, so it's very serious. Um, if you talk to pretty much anybody, either on the security side or the government side, they say don't pay the ransoms. You're you can't. you you're basically trying to enter into a contract for an illegal... Um, Transaction because you know, there it's there, it's extortion. On the other side, it's really easy to see why the temptation to pay is there, especially if you're a small business. Um, You don't actually have to be very big to be targeted, you haven't done the right measures, or you just didn't know. Um, and then and it's probably easier in many ways to pay now the official advice is don't do that don't support Mm, this mm, kind mm. of business model because if you can resist and everybody resists then hopefully they'll see that there isn't a there isn't a business model there because unfortunately you might mention state actors but most of what we're seeing coming through at the moment is just pure crime it's pure money making and they're going to hit one company and if they resist they'll just move on to the next. So if there's less companies to hit, if there's less people biting, then you... then, then hopefully this, this this thing will diminish and go away. It won't ever go away, but at least diminish. Having said all that, totally understand where uh, where people might find themselves in that position. Very hard situation. But I think yeah. as these as as unfortunately New Zealand becomes more and more a victim of this type of crime or a target, if you like, yeah. for this kind of crime, I think increasingly the message will be a zero tolerance for those who pay. Mm. Uh, it's just. They just just don't want to perpetrate it.
0: Mm. My and many will remember in recent months the Garmin situation. We talked about it on the New Zealand Tech podcast. I talked about it in in mainstream media as well. Yep. Um, What we what we heard back on that was that Garmin did in fact pay out millions of dollars in ransom. Um, understand through it through a third party, so we know these things are happening. Um, but you know the, this current news certainly sort of you know ups the. Um You know the 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 stakes when organisations consider that, and it's really interesting. uh, You know, reading through this advisory from from the U.S. Treasury, where they call out the you know these varying situations from uh, WannaCry uh, to in 2017 that you know infected hundreds of thousands of computers right around the world, um, but indicate this was linked to uh, Lazarus Group. Uh, cyber criminal organisation you know, sponsored by uh, North Korea, and you you know you go through the the, the stories, um, evil corp, um, you know hilarious name, uh, but evil corp, uh, Russia based cyber criminal organisations, and and you know really funding these organisations and and funding, um, yeah, the likes of North Korea is. is not necessarily One uh, a, a, a good thing. Certainly, as 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 far as the, the law law states, I think probably most people would agree.
1: Absolutely, and and you know the thing about it is that. I, I always amuses me every time you see a cyber criminal or a cyber crime type report, it's always sort of somebody in a hoodie in the dark with zeros and ones around them and that's, it gives this impression that it's almost just some kid in the bedroom and you know in the basement or whatever, a bit disgruntled because they didn't get invited to a party or something it's not, it's actually really, people who do this sort of thing are being well compensated, they are well paid. They live, you know, lives that that benefit from crime. But unfortunately, yeah, like I said, it's it. it more and more, I think there will be a lot less tolerance for companies that do pay as we sort of get get more and more of these attacks. That the emphasis is on just sort your networks out to start with. Just get yourself organised. There's plenty of advice out there. But yeah,
0: I I would like to see the penalties on these things really. Really lifted. You know what I don't want to see is New Zealand become a place where you know cybercrime is
1: agree. is a yep. common
0: thing that gets carried out. And at the moment, we when we you know consider penalties that, that look a little bit more you know like a, a wet a slap with a wet bus ticket uh, you know type of scenario, um, yeah, that that um, could be detrimental to our future and. Yeah, right now we're losing money in all sorts of directions, uh, which which doesn't help us address the problems that we have as a as a nation. Um, And you know, COVID COVID just adds to it. And I think maybe for those that are that are trying to uh, get things across the line within their own organisations, now is actually a great time to be talking about cybersecurity because everybody around the world knows. That that which is unexpected can happen. We're in the COVID era, right? Mm, mm. That which is unexpected can happen. So, you know, let let's raise this again. If you know, for those that have maybe had discussion and, and tried to uh bring cybersecurity risks on, onto the table uh and and these things have maybe been ignored in the past. Hey, I would say you know have have now another have another go. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well,
1: well, on a good point, I, I note that the Institute of Directors has definitely taken a lot of um, initiative in this area and are working with their members, obviously directors around the country, to kind of upskill them and to help them ask the right questions. And um, and it's it's incumbent on the CIO and the IT manager and in the CSO in some cases mm. to actually ma- open those lines of communications and show that it's not actually it doesn't it's not an issue that sits in the IT department it sits across the whole company like you said um, COVID highlighted has highlighted there's a massive rise in phishing attacks if you look at the cert report it's all phishing it's all people clicking on emails and that kind of thing it wasn't DDoS until like three or four weeks ago and then it was all about DDoS so yeah it doesn't matter where it's coming it's probably you you should expect to be hit at some stage you just need to have the prevention in place which makes it sound easy but i know it's not
0: we could certainly do better now yes true instagram
1: how old are they they're 10 10, 10 years old can you believe it yeah wow. 10 years have gone by so think back to a time without instagram 2010 um no influences. Think about how it's not just changed tech, but how it's actually changed the society. You know, we we had nobody, we had nobody worrying about you know sending pictures of food and whatever else around the world, and we had we had these these things called influences. That that Instagram created all of that, um, as we all remember it. it um, came onto the market, came into the App Store. I think within about a year, it had, it had over a million users. It, it, it moved really fast. Its key was its simplicity, its good user base, but also these filters. You
0: Limited know, to filters? iOS to start with, wasn't it? It was only yes, available on the iPhone. it was the only iPhone. available
1: on there. And, um, and then after two years, amazingly, Facebook bought it for a billion dollars. And I'm old enough to remember what a big... Kerfuffle that caused everyone was like, How can this thing be? How can a little app like that be worth a billion dollars? But Zuckerberg saw something the rest of us didn't see because it's such a massive social network now. And,
0: and it was a similar size to, to, you know, I guess quite a, a number of startups in, in New Zealand, right? I mean, I, I remember there being, I don't know, 30, 40, maybe 50 staff, and it was a pretty small number of staff that they had if if my recollection is correct. It was pretty simple. You know, we're going back of, a little bit here. They were a fairly small business when they got acquired at that stage. They were
1: they were tiny and, and they it felt as well like it sort of didn't feel like it was that much. It was that it was a billion dollars worth it. But I think what Mark Zuckerberg saw was the opportunity to create so much more. And now the American government is looking at whether or not to break it up to break apart facebook and instagram and whatsapp because there's just too much power consolidated into that group um, the founders of facebook of course left that when they got the founders per- of instagram the fa- founders of instagram sorry they they left the business 2 years ago but it's it's fully integrated into facebook and and that is obviously a way that tech companies can keep ahead of the of the curve is that they can look and say well what else is going along rather than create that tech we'll just buy it in now obviously he tried to do it with snapchat as well and that didn't work so next best thing he copied them you know with them. Um instagram stories um so that was um taken from the snapchat what they used to do yeah. it's all they still do so it's been interesting to see how they've just shamelessly developed this 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 um very powerful media social media tool and you know um i talked before about influencers. this idea that an, your instagram following can make you an incredibly powerful person in terms of marketing i mean i mean the obvious one would be like someone like a kim kardashian wearing your I don't know your cap that's it sales in the in the, in the hundreds of thousands straight away um, so yeah so it's it's kind of created this these all these unexpected things in our society so it's yeah 10 years old and of course on the on the on the flip side of that um, just huge amounts of concern about how young people and, and everybody uses Instagram whether or not they are you know what it does to people's sense of self when they when they look at these Instagram the other people people's Instagrams and and how they collate their lives and they don't feel good about themselves and the social consequences of that especially amongst young people has certainly got a huge focus right now Uh, obviously the Netflix documentary um, The
0: Social Dilemma The
1: Social Dilemma is really bringing all of that into the fore and this addiction that people have to their phones addiction to the like buttons um, although I think that they changed that because people were so obsessed with their like buttons um, you know how many likes that they got from their posts and all that kind of thing, so um, yeah, huge discussions now about the social consequences of these social apps.
0: Yeah, well worth watching the social dilemma to just gain some insight that you you might might not have quite joined up the dots. And it's so I mean, it's so accessible, isn't it? In terms of. You know, anyone can un- can understand the way that it's uh, that it's portrayed. It could be being a little bit extreme in some of in I, some of its uh, viewpoints, felt- and I haven't actually finished it. I'm about half halfway through, um, but I, but I've just I've I quite enjoy the way that they've um,
1: I think they shared show things. in a really interesting way how. Um, how the how it works, like in terms of we used to say, you know, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. But now we really see how that works. Mm. Um, some of it was quite dramatised, and I thought that was sort of interesting. Yes. And I I am a bit of a fan of facts and figures, so sometimes I was sort of going, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you arrived there. But um, what was fascinating was all these um, people who had studied it or had actually worked. For um, these uh, companies, they talked about how, how everybody was manipulated and how they how they felt about that. But mostly they talked about the addiction that they had to their screens and how they realized how incredibly powerful social media is. And it does make you want to think, I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm going to put it over there while you're watching it because you realize how addictive it can be yeah. and how psychology has been married with technology to – to just drive this kind of behaviour. Um, you know, I think, thank goodness for places like NetSafe that we've got in New Zealand that kind of monitor this stuff and try to throw some sort of sensible ideas and, and ways that um, that we can all sort of, like, pay attention to and, and have a think about. Um, very, very powerful, um, very, very powerful tools. I, I did think it was um, really interesting because, of course, the owner or the co-founder of Netflix is... Um, is it Reed Hastings? Yeah, he used to sit on the board of Facebook until about a year ago, and so it would have been fascinating if he was still sitting around the board when this thing came out, because because the social dilemma has got huge amounts of um, coverage and, and a lot of people, a lot of people watching it and talking about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I uh, really enjoyed hearing uh, from uh, Tristan Harris, who worked within uh, Google's Gmail team and how he sort of really delved into a real uh, email addiction and you know how his how he i guess you know he progressed from there into a into a um eth- uh, ethicist, how do you, how would you say it um uh, an, an ethics type, you know, focused focused role there within. I'm not sure if that's what he started in uh, there within uh, Google, and then he's you know he's gone out um, to an entity that, that looks at these things externally. Uh, and the other were some viewpoints from um, uh, Jaron Lanier, um, I'm not sure if I pronounced his his name correctly. Uh, who I actually you know spoke to on a on a call just. Two or three months ago, he, uh, as well as being a uh, computer scientist and um, philosophy writer, he works for Microsoft Research, and so uh, he was involved in in talking to a handful of people from um, from around the world around some of the things that that Microsoft were doing with uh, with Teams, uh, with their Teams product. Um, but yeah it was quite fascinating uh, hearing some of his viewpoints on there as well. He,
1: he actually did a really great TED talk about I think two or three years ago so look him up and he talked about and it was the first time that I'd sort of really understand the rabbit hole that we get sent down you know you can start looking at something quite innocently in, in YouTube and how it takes people to white supremacist sites or anti vax or you know um, COVID 19 being caused by cell towers and all that stuff all that conspiracy nonsense and you just he he really showed how um, you know wh- wh- where they took you, and how they created those algorithms, so you became into a more and more extreme world, and and that's what the social dilemma does. It has a sort of a dramatic um, um, depiction of a family and what happens to the family. Mostly, my biggest takeaway from the whole thing was these things are really addictive thinking carefully about why they're addictive and, and do they make you feel good do they make you feel bad and not to think it's it's all about you you are necessarily in control I, I don't know if it was Tristan or there was another person on that program who said a bicycle is a tool we decide if we want to go and use it we, we make that decision as humans we go okay well I want to get use that bicycle and so I can travel somewhere faster etc but what he's saying is that the phones and, and the way that the technology comes to you, it's almost like you don't have a choice and they're saying where will this lead? So you sort of come away from it thinking about, it brings up a lot of discussions and I, I found that really interesting. They had the chair or the CEO of Pinterest, I think he'd been on, and he said he had this whole young family at home, but he couldn't leave the phone alone to be with his small children and his family. And even though he he wanted to, he was drawn back to the screen constantly. So it was very interesting. If you recognise some of those behaviours in your own self, you realise that this is what addiction is. And, and
0: and the role of that that third that the the third parties in the mix, right? When you're connecting with people of you know utilizing a social network yes. that that actually there's there's this you know an, an extra uh, party there's a monetization of basically everything you do on these platforms and and yeah. how that completely you know changes 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 the picture.
1: Absolutely. So you yeah. realise that you're being routed in a certain way towards certain behaviour for a commercial outcome that isn't going to benefit you. It's going to benefit somebody else. Benefit somebody else. So some really powerful um, ideas in that in that. Um, 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 documentary series. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I think packaged in a way that is very accessible to anybody. And and good to have these discussions. Mm. Definitely. I, I mean
0: I look forward to seeing what, what comes out of these things as we're starting to delve in a little bit more, realize, you know, the reality at the realities and the uh you know the 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 impact of of these things and yeah where will we be in another ten or twenty years' time hopefully in a healthier place but yeah you know, there's, there's, the there, there's a potential that these potential these things can go uh in either direction so it's very much unknown it's still yeah you know, it's still to be written and you know I guess that's that's always the opportunity with um you know, with these things, is that we can we can get involved and uh, and help steer things in a new direction or invent something new that uh, that becomes the, the the next thing and uh, changes the future.
1: Absolutely. And um, I think I think what's really good about it is that, that those discussions are becoming very mainstream now and people are understanding what that what effect they have. And like you talked about, um, I think Jaron Lanier, is that his name? He he's actually talks about how when the internet first started in the late 90s, it was very much of the kind of hippie sort of free bites for all kind of world. And the last thing you could do was monetize it. You know, you, you never wanted to put it walls up because you wanted everybody to have access to it and walls being you know having to pay for things but once commercial organisations came along and thought we can make a buck here things changed and that's when all this kind of stuff started to happen Um, and like anything you know it's this desire to make more and more money and, and go in different you know directions but it's like anything, you know, everything in moderation. It doesn't mean that they're inherently wrong. It's just that you've got to think about what kind of measures you have to have in place. And nobody wants to be a guinea pig for, pig, pig, sorry, for somebody else's um, monetization strategy. Not really. I, I personally would rather pay for the news and know that I got it from a from an objective, fair and accurate source than um, have to feel that I was being manipulated unseen when I wanted to chat to my mate.
0: Yeah, and... You know, I get that, and that's a reality for a lot of people. But the, you know, the the places that have the most people tend to be those places that where the the entry, you know, cost from a monetary perspective is, is zero. Um, mm. That's probably a that we could probably get into a we huge totally discussion on it. another yeah. day. And as I said, I've I've uh, I've actually still got to got to finish the last I don't know third, third or third to a half of it, um, but. Look, thank you very much, Sarah, for uh, joining the show. Now, you've actually, we've just recorded two podcasts here. Uh, so, we're going to put these online as two separate episodes. So, if you're listening uh, to this one, I probably la- told you it was episode 509 at the beginning. I think actually it's probably 510 uh, because Sarah and I have had a chat around. Uh, politics and Sarah's told us exactly who we should uh, vote for so if you're listening to this episode and you haven't heard uh, the episode about the uh, upcoming election uh, then you should have a have a listen in uh, to that and I'm not going to give away any uh, any of uh, Sarah's secret uh, recommendations uh, on who to vote for um, until you listen to uh, to that episode (laughs)
1: I'm, gonna, I'm laughing here because my only recommendation is, and I don't think it's a spoiler, is that you have to vote. <laughs>
0: Uh, there's a bit more in there than that. A little bit more um, in that, there. That, that, that's a, a very, very short summary. Um, but yeah, we we look. We would recommend every everybody uh, be informed and Try vote, me. and uh, and that discussion is, is to help uh, a little bit along that that track. Of course, there are plenty of um, online resources and and a few online news articles in terms of uh, the parties that have that have got some focus on on tech policy. Uh, that's worth looking into as well. So. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on uh, this episode of the New Zealand uh, Tech Podcast. Uh, Thank you to Gary, our producer, for... um uh, working uh, extra long today to so we could squeeze these two episodes in, uh, and to everybody who uh, who listens in and supports the show in some way, uh, it's it's all um, you know those who support the show and contribute in some way that make uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast possible. Thank you again, Sarah. We'll catch you uh, next time around. Thank you. New Zealand's tech podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.